everybody. Welcome back to the Performance Collective. I'm your host, Dr. Jared Sinclair. Today, I've got an exceptional guest. His name is Greg Kogler. Greg Kogler has spent several years in the public sector and now has transitioned into the private sector. So I'd like to welcome him to the show. Greg, welcome. Thank you, Jared. Happy to be here with you this morning. Yeah, so hey, I, 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 I select my guests because I typically look for high performers, people that are doing stuff uh, at a high level or have done stuff at a high level. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do and maybe some of those things that help you get to where you are? What's your story? Wow, what's my story? First off, you probably need to get another guest, but uh, <laughs> I'll go ahead and uh, try to try to satisfy your expectation here. Um, you know, I think my story is unremarkable in many respects, and I think it's quite normal when you talk about a lot of folks. You know, as a young guy, I went in the Marine Corps, and that's really where my professional life started. Very, very good time in my life. Learned a ton about leadership from the Marine Corps, which some folks are going to disagree with me, but I still think to this day it's one of the exceptional organizations when it comes to small team, small unit leadership. They do that very well, you know, and their success depends on that. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, I actually worked in the fire service for a couple of years and continued to kind of get that exposure to what it meant to serve and public safety and all that kind of stuff. But I think the bug for law enforcement set in shortly after going to the fire service. And uh, I went over to the San Diego Police Department after being at the fire department for about three years. Uh, and that's where I really began my career, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a good spot. And so learned a lot working there, large organization, a lot of things going on. I worked in a very complicated part of the city. Uh, the division I worked in had... A, a ridiculously large number of ethnic groups, languages, cultures, um, mm -hmm. serious crime issues going on. And so that really taught me so much about what law enforcement meant, both from a day-to-day -day practical level and mm -hmm. also from a big picture level, which at the time I didn't appreciate, but later on in my career, that became quite important. Um, yeah. So stayed there for about five years or so, and then went to the Escondido police department just for family reasons, being closer okay. to home. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Started my time there and worked in patrol, just like I had in San Diego. Uh, San Diego's on the SWAT team, so at Escondido, I, I went on the SWAT team there after I'd been there for a little bit and, and enjoyed that experience. And then just had, I say, would say, the career development stuff. You know, became a field training officer for a while. Uh, ultimately, did some other assignments that were related to that, and then was able to transition into becoming a frontline supervisor as a sergeant. Mm -hmm. Worked a couple of different assignments as a supervisor in patrol and gang investigations. Had a supervisory role in the SWAT team at that point. Oh, wow. And, and then um, did that for, you know, a few years and then had an opportunity to promote kind of into that first level of management as a lieutenant. Same thing, kind of still active in the patrol SWAT investigations arena. Mm -hmm. uh, did some work as the... Uh, public information officer for the department for a while, got my first exposure to doing things kind of with different committees uh, around the city, around the county. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to go to the FBI National Academy, which was a great experience um, and, and really wasn't in that role too long before there were some significant transitions, uh, you know, happening in the department. And I found myself with an opportunity to promote to that next level of captain and really joined kind of that smaller executive team for the organization. Uh, and I stayed in that role and was involved in a host of things, as you would expect, everything from the operational side to the administrative side of things. Um, so, you know, the role of the PIO really is, uh, it was not a, a regular 40 hour a week role. However, at the same time, it did consume a lot of energy because 
as you would expect in law enforcement, things happen, of course, uh, unexpectedly. And we're constantly responding to things that we don't plan for. That said, the role of PIO was a good learning experience because you're having to think critically about the words that leave your lips. You're mm-hmm. having to think very carefully about the implications of what you say and who's going to be affected by what you say. Um, and so that was a great experience to interact with the press, other city officials, county officials, sometimes even folks at the state level of government, um, and be mindful about trying to connect what it is your agency is doing on a day-to-day basis with the impact it's going to have on the community, on other stakeholders, constituents, et cetera, who are going to be on the receiving end of your services. So that was a great experience. Can you talk a little bit on that note? We'll get back to kind of where you went from there, but can you talk a little bit about how you felt with that first live on-camera interview that you did? Horrible. Horrible. (laughs) Say more. (laughs) Say more. (laughs) Uh, It's just, uh, it's, it shouldn't be, but it is a very intimidating thing because you know, you know, you can have no ill will, no bad intent in what you, you say, mm-hmm. but the reality is people are going to parse your words, looking for hidden meaning or trying to infer something that even wasn't there. Yeah. And so you have to be very mindful about how you speak and be careful about not coming across, especially from a public safety perspective of someone who's trying to hide something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to put all that together in an authentic way for the receiving in the audience is sometimes yeah. very intimidating. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of that time when I think you were going through the National Academy and we were talking and you gave me your one of your project papers. And you were it was the paper that was talking about facing adversity or facing into the wind or facing the heat. I think. it was. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe how that applies to developing one's leadership, whether it's standing in front of a live camera as the PIO or making the decision as a SWAT commander or making a personnel decision as a, as a captain? Yeah, I mean, every occupation, every, every position of responsibility is going to have those, you know, uh, pivot moments or those, those moments that are, are going to take you in one direction or another. And I think the value of being in those moments is that they teach us things that you don't learn in any other set of circumstances. Mm. You know, and one thing that I share with my kids in particular, now that they're adults and they're all working and in very uh, significant positions of their own is, you know, I, I encourage them not to run away from those challenging sets of circumstances or those mm-hmm. new experiences. Mm-hmm. And I encourage them to be comfortable with being very uncomfortable with what they're being asked to do. Mm. Uh, Because being uncomfortable does not mean that you're not prepared. Being uncomfortable does not mean that you don't have a good solution set available to the problem. Being uncomfortable simply means that it's a new experience or a new twist on old experience. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes that, that being uncomfortable is the thing that forces us to learn or to experience something in a new way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what we all want in a professional environment, right? Is to grow. And sometimes that growth requires being very uh, stressed, I guess, in a good way Mm -hmm. in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you willing to share maybe a time where you felt extremely uncomfortable, whether as a leader or maybe there was a decision that had to be made with these, you know, competing forces, whether it's a force coming from yourself in your own mind or your, your level of ability um, or maybe um, just a decision that had to be made that was very challenging. Are you able to share an example of that? Sure. You know, and you said something right there, you know, you talked about your level of ability. 
I don't know that there was ever a day where I went to work where I felt like I was fully prepared, fully capable for anything that I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I was a little bit behind the front edge of that wave. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually a good place to be, right? Uh, because it forces you to stay on point. It forces mm-hmm. you to keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. Um, and I think with that attitude, I found myself in a set of circumstances where we unexpectedly, and I mean highly unexpected moment, of having our communications manager walk in, drop their resignation, and leave. Mm. Um, now, mind you, this is a joint police and fire communications center, several hundred thousand calls for service every year, mm-hmm. right? It's part of a countywide or regionalized dispatch slash communication program. There's yeah. a ton of moving parts, a ton of difficult personnel issues, a ton of things that need to get resolved every day. Mm-hmm. And the person who was responsible for that just walks out the door with less than you know five minutes notice. Yeah, that's a lot to deal with. How, how'd, you, yeah. how'd you deal with it? So my first thought was, okay, we got to make a decision. But even in that moment, I, I couldn't let the idea of urgency drive the decision. Mm-hmm. We really needed to sit down and think about that one for a minute. Yeah. Was there some urgency to it? Yes. But even in the midst of that, is there time? There is. There's always a little bit of time to think through things. Mm-hmm. And so spoke with some other folks, got their perspective on it. No one really had a good answer. Uh, and the perspectives were all a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. But I did need to make a decision and I made the decision. Um, and that decision was to take someone in that group of folks in the communication center who had demonstrated and expressed a desire to be in a position of leadership. Mm-hmm. That person was not yet in a formal position of leadership. Mm-hmm. And by many, in many respects, that person was probably one of the most junior folks in there. Yeah. But knowing that individual, knowing their level of intellect, knowing their level of character, knowing their level of talent, it was the right decision to make. Mm-hmm. And so we move forward with that. I move forward with that. Yeah. So it's that whole that whole kind of dynamic of do they have the skills and the experience versus what's their potential and are they able to do the job? Yeah. Can they be trained? And in this case, it, it was still a hard decision to make because it ended up generating a lot of unpleasant repercussions. But mm. at the same time, it was it was a decision that could be made with high confidence that the outcome would still be good. Yeah. Like I knew we were going to have to slug through the what the heck questions right sure. in, in the mm-hmm. in the days and weeks that would follow that decision but i was highly confident that we would get to where people would understand why that decision was made yeah so in that decision just to dive a little bit deeper into that greg when when you're making decisions at that level in an organization where you know there's going to be repercussions do you well i guess i mean your answer is clear but how can somebody who might look at their own self-preservation and their own self-interest while making a decision for an organization, look past their own self-interest. You know, what tactics or, or philosophies or beliefs or principles do you rely on to, to do that? So you can make a sound decision. So, so it doesn't look self-serving, right? Right. Well, there are very few decisions when you move into certain levels of any organization that people will see as self-serving because mm-hmm. in nearly, I don't say all, but in many respects, the decisions you're making at that level complicate your life. So the decisions that you make at that level in some way, shape or form are going to complicate your life professionally, maybe even personally. 
Can you say right. more about that? Yeah. And, you know, you, you asked the question about how do you fight back against that impulse maybe to do something that's better for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, if you are committed to the organization, if you genuinely see yourself as a caretaker of the organization, as a caretaker of the men and women that work there, mm-hmm. uh, as someone whose job is to advance the mission and bring the people along at the same time, mm-hmm. then most of your decisions are not going to be good for you. The decisions are going to require you to do more work. The decisions are going to require more communication from you. They're going to require more listening on your part. They're going to require more interaction on your part. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're making decisions that put more on your plate, but it's the right thing to do. And so what you have to learn how to do is manage your plate, right? Okay. Um, and there's an ebb and flow to that because you mm-hmm. still have other responsibilities that are simply a part of your day-to-day job. Right. Yes, your job is to be one of the leaders in the organization, but you still have tasks or things that need to get done. Mm -hmm. Right. And so by making those decisions, sometimes what you're saying is I need to do more. Right. I need to make more time. So you talk about the impact on your personal life or anything else. Mm -hmm. You're always having to navigate kind of not what is important because many of the things you do are important. But you're trying to, to, to navigate that concept of what's the most important thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm working with a, a nonprofit organization right now that's having to replace one of their executives or one of their high, upper level managers. And one of the things that they're struggling with is some of the directors want to just appoint somebody that's naturally in that next position to move up. And fortunately, the 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 person in charge is of the opinion that, no, we're going to choose the best person for this position, right? But with that comes all this fallout. Well, why are we doing that? We've always done it this way. I should be next in line or so-and-so should be next in line. And there's these alliances, these social structures that come into play there. So kudos to you for making those decisions. It's Those, those ethical decisions are very difficult at times. And I think with that probably comes a little more respect uh, in one's ability to lead an organization when they're willing to kind of put their own... Um, their own likability, I guess, if you would say, on the line to make the, the appropriate decision. So that's a great example. Greg, can you say more about, um, you know, so after after you worked with uh, the, the police department as as a, a commander and executive, uh, where did you go from there? What did you do next? Uh, well, I left the organization uh, that I was with and went to a second organization at a different part of the state. There was a, a interesting opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a great opportunity to take advantage of and really kind of helping to rebuild and restructure a whole organization okay. that, that had a lot of great men and women working there, worked in a great community, great leadership uh, already, but it was new leadership. Uh, and, and really what they were asking for was someone to come in and be the day-to-day operational impact from the leadership perspective that of course they it wasn't their role to do. They were really kind of outside focused as it related to the organization, right? So my job was to be inside focused. Okay. Um, and and that was that was interesting because you talk about do you bring in you know do you make that legacy promotion or you do you bring in the person that's going to help you get to where the organization needs to be and but then by extension that becomes good for everybody that's there. Sure. You know. So I came in and took the position of the heir apparent who was now going to be one of my subordinates. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Someone that many, many people were loyal to, someone who was well liked, mm-hmm. someone who was actually very good at what they did. Um, and then within his peer group, right, my direct subordinates was mm-hmm. his best friend. Sure. That's so that that was a big challenge, but it ended up being a great 
great experience. And yeah. to this day, you know, because of how I think the three of us in particular navigated that moment. And I give huge credit to both of those guys. Mm -hmm. um, I still get phone calls and text messages from them because what we did was, was we professionally were able to set aside the emotion of the moment yeah. and, and get down to the benefit of the professional interaction that ultimately led to a great working relationship and ultimately a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. So you said it, you said a key word there that I tuned into and that was uh, emotion. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about how, you know, some people say emotion's not important, right? We need to make decisions in business based off of logic, but right. businesses are made up of people that drive their decisions based off of emotion. So yeah. how do you navigate those waters? Or maybe, maybe in this example or another example, how do you balance that emotion versus logic uh, argument and decision-making process? Well, I don't think you pick one or the other to start okay. with. Okay. I, I think the reality is both are going to be present no matter how much you may like or dislike the other one, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so in that particular set of circumstances, and candidly, I think throughout my career, was you, you have to learn to recognize that people are emotional. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing. But you also have to be willing then to let people work through that emotional component. And for some folks, that's going to be a larger component than it is in other folks, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you have to walk them through that. You have to ask those clarifying questions to draw them through that moment. And once you get through the emotional, I'll say, uh, you know, landmine, mm -hmm. uh, you you can then start to have that conversation that focuses on the logic, the rationale, the facts, right? The analysis of the issue. Mm -hmm. But, it, but until you either have established credibility with that person where they trust you in spite of their emotions mm -hmm. or in, a, in the case of a new person, until you can help them walk through the emotional component of it, you really can't have that logical conversation. Yeah. You know, if you try and force that issue, I think sometimes what you end up generating is a lot of resentment or mm -hmm. there is no communication because they just shut off. They're listening. Right. So how, what are some, what are some ways that you've found have been helpful in building that trust or to help people get through that emotional um, kind of resistance, right? Cause it's change is what we're talking about. We're talking about something is changing from the way that it used to be. And it's a danger to me. It's a threat to me. So how, how what are some tactics that you use to get through that, to build that trust? I think the thing that was most helpful for me and something I actually learned from someone else early in my career was take time to develop relationships with your people. Even the people that you may not care for, even the folks that may make your life difficult, take time to know them as well as you're able mm -hmm. and let them know you appropriately as well as you can. Mm -hmm. Because when you have that relational interaction, what you're starting to develop is that trust, right? Yeah. They're getting a glimpse into who you are and you're also gaining insight in how to communicate with that individual in mm -hmm. those moments where decisions need to be made because you know what will resonate with them you'll know what's going to be difficult for them. And you learn how to deliver a message to that person or to that group of people in mm -hmm. a way that doesn't, you know, pour gas on a fire or end up destroying someone in the room. Sure. Right. right. So you become very, and I use, I'm going to use the word nuanced, but I don't want to imply dishonest. Mm -hmm. You learn how to be very truthful and thoughtful in how you communicate with people. And, and it brings the group what brings all of you toward that common effort, common purpose, where mm -hmm. now you can have that conversation about, okay, this is why we're going to do what we're going to do, the way yeah. we're going to do it, and right. here's our next steps. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking a little bit about the difference between manipulation and influence. 
Yes. Right? It's kind of the, what's the nexus of, of taking those actions? Is it, is it for good and for advancement of the organization or the person, or is it for, you know, some other reason? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to what we talked about where you, you brought up the idea of do people see you making decisions that are good for the organization or do they see you making decisions that are self-serving? Right. You know, and it starts small at it, your very first opportunity where you're at a decision point where you say, I could do what's better for me, or I can do what's better for someone else or the department or the community. Mm -hmm. People begin to see a pattern of you making decisions that are good for others. Right. And then they see you having to put in more effort to make those decisions uh, turn into realities. Mm -hmm. um, what you're buying with every opportunity that you take advantage of in that case is you're mm -hmm. buying credibility. You're buying authenticity. You're buying a positive leverage where people will say, I don't get where you're going with this and I don't even like it right now, but I trust mm -hmm. you. Therefore yeah. I'll follow. Right. Right. So those, those little nuggets that they're leaving along the way kind of show their true, their true self begins to emerge. Absolutely. Um, so you might get a guy or a gal who runs a, a unit or a division or a team and they, they, maybe they, they, they are moving their own people around or showing preferential treatment. People are going to see that. Whereas another person might come in and make the best decision like you did for the communications division, identifying that person who has the best shot at doing what the organization needs to right. be done. Those are two very different cookie crumb trails, if you will, based on that person. And that is a reflection of that leader. Yes. Okay. Excellent. I love that. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about uh, how through role transition, because clearly you've moved up in organizations and you're currently working as a, an area director for a law enforcement technology company. Uh, yeah. Regional director for law enforcement relations for a technology company. Yes. Okay. So as you moved up, um, let's say, you know, from the Marine Corps into the fire service, through the police departments and law enforcement into the private sector. Can you talk a little bit about how those, those leadership tactics and kind of people management, um, the way you did those things changed as you moved higher into the organization or maybe your scale or scope changed? You know, I don't, I don't know that what I did changed mm -hmm. definitely as I moved to subsequent levels of the organization, the amount of time it took to accomplish the process changed. Like you couldn't just make assumptions and move in and be ready to hit the ground running in two days. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the thing that always served me well, and again, advice I got from people that were a heck of a lot smarter than I was, was to spend a lot of time watching and listening. Mm -hmm. And by a lot of time, I don't mean like a year. I mean like, you know, maybe a week or two weeks or even three weeks, depending on what the circumstances were. Sure. But, but to ask clarifying questions, don't go in and say, well, that's dumb. Why did we do that? Mm -hmm. Right. Say, Hey, tell me more about why we do this this way. Mm -hmm. What's the history on this? What's the background on it? Why is it important that it happens this particular way? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and trying to, in the process, learn about the person, learn about the team, the unit, the division, whatever it happens to be, learn about their policies, maybe that might be unique to that group of people and find out the things that matter. Because sometimes I had assumptions about what I might want to change that were mm -hmm completely off point. And had I had not taken the time to listen and to ask those questions and to really be thoughtful about how to move forward, I would have made some huge mistakes with folks. Sure. So how did you, how did you balance that uh, or, or identify that? Like, 
did you ask yourself the question of, is this an assumption that I, Greg, am making or the organization is making? Or is this an assumption that maybe the people that I'm talking to are pro projecting, saying that, hey, this thing's happening where it's not really happening? Um, did you use data? I mean, how did you balance all of those kind of competing uh, narratives, I guess? So oftentimes when, especially as I moved up in the organization, the direction or the input that I was getting, let's say from the head of the organization might take some assumptions into play, mm -hmm. you know, and they would have an idea about something that they didn't care for or like, or something that they wanted to see change. Sure. And then of course I would talk to the person that I was relieving in that position and hear what their perspective was. Mm -hmm. And then of course there were people's comments from around the organization about what was or wasn't happening with a group of people, right. Based on their right. own, you know, thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to be honest, I would have my own impression of the way things were. But again, you know, super smart people that helped me learn stuff early. And I'm so grateful for that is don't run with any of it until you get there and see it and touch it and, and understand it on your own. You know, because there were times I even had to go back to the head of the organization and say, your impression of this is not on point. Mm -hmm. right? There's more information here. And I mm -hmm. can think of a few conversations where by the time I was finished laying out other information that I had gained, mm -hmm. th th their ideas were like, yeah, please don't do what I asked you to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, then there were other times where it was worse than what I was told. Oh, so, OK. Yeah. Which is another another discussion with the boss. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with that, I, you talked a lot about building trust and getting to know your people. Right. Because it mm -hmm. kind of gives you that um, that ability to to influence appropriately when the time comes. Do you think that played a role in you? Um, you know, because the higher typically the higher you get in an organization, the more filtered your information gets. It, it changes. Right. So did you find that those relationships or what types of relationships did you find helpful to get to the root cause of things that were occurring? You know what? I think the best compliment I got when I, when I left um, the organization that I was at for the longest, I left there as a captain mm -hmm. was someone, someone made the comment to me that said, if you had lined up everybody uh, in the organization down both sides of the hall and walked down and shook their hands, not a single person would have known that you didn't like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had to think about that for a second. Like, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. But, but I now understood. And, and I think when you talk about the relationships, my focus was to treat everyone as if they mattered because they did. Mm -hmm. Even if I didn't like them, you know, or they did things that bothered me or they created headaches for me or whatever, at the end of the day, they still mattered. Yeah. Right. And they still offered something. Right. And so by, by having that perspective and that approach and genuinely, genuinely caring about the men and women that I was responsible for. Mm -hmm. was some, when I got that phone call that said someone's had a, a significant family issue, right? Right. My first question was, are they okay with me coming by right now? Mm -hmm. And I would go. And I didn't yeah. care if it was three o'clock in the morning. I went. Right. Not because I was trying to do something for me. That goes back to the whole conversation of, right, it's not good for me. It's not good right. for me to get out of bed at three o'clock in the morning after I've only had one hour of sleep in the last 24 hours and I've mm -hmm. got a big family event tomorrow, right? right. But it, it, if I can't tell people that I care about them and then not show up when they need that care and concern. Yeah, those are the nuggets, right? The evidence. Right, the of, evidence, right? Great. Yeah. So, so when you talk about the relationships, I think if you, if you are going to get to any level of success at the higher parts of an organization, you must you must start early in your career demonstrating to people that 
not only are you technically and tactically proficient, right? That's the Marine Corps mm -hmm. thing, right? Do you know right. your job? Do you know how to do it? But that you actually care about the men and women that you work with, either as a peer or even as a subordinate to your boss. Can you, can you work for them in such a way that actually supports them and encourages them, right? Mm -hmm. Acknowledges when they do well and is willing right. to be honest if they say, hey, did I mess that up, right? Can you mm -hmm. do that good? Mm -hmm. um, and then as you move forward, people begin to understand your character, right? right? Not your talent. They begin to understand your character. And it's your character that carries you through in those moments of difficult decision-making, crisis decision-making, mm -hmm. really com complicated, painful life moments that happen in any organization. Sure. It's your character and your reputation, not your knowledge and your skill that gets right. you through that. Yeah. And I think with that, I think that character is what people will latch onto the most. I really yes. do. And I don't have any evidence or, or um, there's probably research out there, but just on my awareness of the world and the way the way certain leaders rise to the top and others don't, it is that character um, that, that, that helps people to follow, really. Right. That's what it does. All right. Let's shift gears real quick. Greg, how do you determine success, whether it's at the PD, Marine Corps, your personal life? Um, what, when you think of success... Let's say in a team environment, though, you know, you're, you're a leader. So looking at your team, how do you determine success? What does that look like? So in the team environment, kind of <clears> that <throat> last part of the question, I think mm -hmm. the success is, you know, for me, the, the, the mark of success was always are, are, are my people that I'm responsible for. Is this unit that I'm supposed to lead? Is this group of folks that I'm supposed to take down a particular path? Are they getting better individually? Mm -hmm. Are they growing? Are they yeah. learning? Are they developing new skill sets? Right. Mm -hmm. Is, is, is the sum of the whole, right. Greater than the parts. Like, mm -hmm. you know, does everyone bring so much in there that, that we, you have to use exponential math now to, to, to calculate the impact that this group of folks is having. Yeah. Um, because when I could look at the people growing, when I could look at the people being thoughtful about things that perhaps didn't mean much to them when we first started together, mm -hmm. when I could see them making decisions that reflected the conversations and the expectations that we had laid out, yeah. um, when I could see them getting upset because we weren't meeting benchmarks that we had agreed upon uh, mm -hmm. were important, right? Mm -hmm. That's when I knew we were being successful. Yeah, they internalized it, yep. right? It was coming from them now and not necessarily you yep. yeah, or the team. Yeah, what a great you know, example. And to share a quick story, I remember sure. it was a, a SWAT thing and, and very potentially difficult, you know, th there were a lot of unknown outcomes in this event, right? Mm -hmm. um, which was par for the course, but this one had some, some unique and potentially very dangerous elements attached to it. Okay. And so at the end of it all, we would always come back and we would do a team debrief. Sure. Right. And then those were rank didn't matter. No holds barred. If someone messed something up, right. Mm -hmm. And so we go into the team debrief and I was a sergeant at the time. And one of the guys looks at me and he says, I have a problem with something that you did today. I said, okay, let's hear it. Yeah. And they laid it out mm -hmm. and they were right. Mm -hmm. And they put, put right back on me. One of the expectations that I'd put on the team. Sure. Right. And so on one hand you could be like bothered or embarrassed or, you know, insulted, right. That one of your subordinates, Right. Just chewing you out. But, right. but I, I looked at, I started laughing and they're like, well, what's so funny? I go, I love the fact that you guys are using my own expectations against me. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's kind of, the, everybody keeps progressing. Yeah. It was know? awesome. Yeah. You know? and, and again, you know, it becomes an opportunity for you to gen, gen, um, demonstrate, I guess, yeah. to your folks that, hey, uh -huh. 
we're all in this together, right? Yeah. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to absorb this, this legitimate critique that you just offered me and mm-hmm. say that what we've declared as important as a team is still important. And you know yeah. what? I'm going to take my hits. Thank you for it. Yeah. And you could have gone right and you could have gone left. You could have gone right and said, how dare you confront yeah. me? I'm your team leader, right? Yeah. Or you could have gone left and you gained credibility in front of a group through humility and, you know, hey, this is what we are. This is what we do. So yeah. I, I love that example. What a great example. Okay. What book are you reading right now? Um, what? I have like 15 books I'm reading right now, but uh, one of the books that I'm reading right now is actually, it's Frederick Douglass, My Bondage and My Freedom. Um, okay. Yeah. Just, reading or audiobook, actual like physical book reading? No, I, I'm, I'm that guy that still does like a paper book with a highlighter and a pen. Yes. So. Yes. Notes on the side on the, on the, yeah, yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. Awesome. Now, Let's, I got uh, a bunch of books that I'm reading right now, dude. That's yeah, yeah. I have a cue that um, one day I'll work through. I see know, that one, one at a time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's. Uh, I got one question for you. Last kind of wrap up question. Actually, I have two more, but last kind of wrap up question. Um, if you were to go back and give yourself advice, you know, the younger Greg Kogler, kind of embarking on this adventure of life, professionally, personally, what is the greatest thing that you would tell yourself, or the most impactful thing that you could tell yourself? You know, I was, I was kind of thinking about some of this stuff in, in anticipation of our conversation. And, you know, the whole thing of experience kept rolling around in my head. Mm. Like, and I, and I asked myself, like, what is experience? You know, like, what does that mean? Because on one hand, they think the further you get into your career, well, the more experience you have, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's true. Like you, you, you do more things, you experience more things, but does that actually translate into anything valuable? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think the advice I would give myself, um, my younger self is every moment, every day, take the time to think about what did I experience today? Right. And what I would tell my younger self is there is a big difference between being involved in events in life, right? Having that kind of experience Mm -hmm. or having the wisdom, the knowledge that comes from reflected experience taking the time to sit there and say, what happened? Why did it happen? What does it mean? What have I learned from it? What can I learn from it? Mm -hmm. Right. Not do I like it or do I not like it, but what can I learn from it? And that includes even the painful experience, right? The things where maybe you mess something up or Mm -hmm. it's just a a hard set of circumstances that you don't ever want to go through again. You know, it's that whole thing of don't waste the pain, right? There's still value there if you Mm -hmm. choose to, to extract it. Right. I'm writing that down. Don't waste the pain. I love that. I think it's one thing that we don't do often enough as a, you know, fast paced society, um, you know, go, go, go electronics work like kids, soccer, the whole nine, right. right. Is take that time to stop and reflect. And mm-hmm. I love that. I'd love that advice. Um, I think people would be better off if they did take the time to reflect and um, learn from what's happened. Not to them, but just learn what's happened. Um, right. So, yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate the insights. Um, I want to have you back on the show at some point, maybe in uh, a year or so, just to kind of, I, I, I have notes here and have other right. things that I want to dive into. All um, right. So if we could do that, that'd be great. Can you just uh, let our followers know? I'm going to throw up your information here on the screen. But for those of us 
those that are listening online, can you let them know where they can contact you? And I'll drop that in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, well, thank you first for, for even asking me to join you, Jared. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you and I always had a great relationship working together. Congratulations to you on the success that you've had um, beyond you. where we started. And I'm looking forward to what you're going to do. And yes, I'm, folks can reach me. Probably the best way is just through LinkedIn. Okay, excellent. So. And I'll put that I'll put that link in the show notes again for, for the listeners. And it's up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, there's a QR code there that you can scan. Greg, I appreciate your time. Enjoy your what you got going on there as the director with this tech company. It sounds pretty exciting. And I'm sure there's going to be more stories that come out of that. Uh, maybe not specifically that company, but maybe uh, some of the other companies that you interact with. The people you interact with. So thanks yeah. again for coming on the show. Well, you're very welcome, Jared. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to our show now and join us as we continue to discuss topics that will help you and your teams expand capacity, drive performance, and lead change. Check out our show on YouTube at Performance Collective. To learn more about business performance improvement solutions for the private, public, government, and nonprofit sectors, head on over to SinclairPerformance.com. You can connect with us there.